find out if you're ready for love. Here's your marvelous host, Nikki Lee. Hello, and welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. Do you have a problem overthinking things? Do you kind of get stuck thinking and thinking and thinking, and you just can't stop? Maybe you just kind of harp on things, and your partner's like, would you stop already? Or maybe maybe you just say, I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just going to do the, the Scarlet O'Hara, you know, I'll think about it tomorrow. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, there, there's a middle ground. Neither one of those is really the way to go. And my guest today is Alicia Munoz. And if I got that wrong, she can, clear, she can straighten me out. <laughs> and she, she wrote a book called, now let me, let me get to this, this is a long title, but it's a, it's, it's a neat title though. Stop Overthinking Your Relationship, Break This Cycle of Anxious Rumination to Nourish Love, Trust, and Connection with Your Partner. Now, it's a long title, but it's an interesting idea, and I can see ways that can improve your relationship and make things better, and I think it would probably lower your stress level, too. So, Alicia, it's awesome to have, me, have you with me today. It's great to be here, Nikki. Thank you for asking me to join and connect with your listeners. And you're from Virginia, too, I believe, aren't you? Well, I live here. Originally, I'm from D.C., uh, and then I went and lived in New York for a bunch of decades and came back <laughs> and settled down in Virginia. Awesome. See, I don't have people from Virginia very often. This is kind of exciting. I know. We're neighbors. <laughs> I know, and and you've actually been to where I'm, where I am. So this is this is nice. I like it. <laughs> I know I had forgotten that, and I was looking over my notes yesterday. And went, oh yeah, she's like she's she's nearby. <laughs> oh my! And we were almost far enough to miss the 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 worst of the hurricanes. So this this good weekend. I know. I know. So, when we were emailing back and forth, I was like, oh, yeah, she's got the rain going and the backyard flooding and, and all that. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. And the wind blowing and, and the branches coming down and leaves going everywhere. And, but, but the power stayed on. That was the important part. <laughs> so, yeah. And power this morning so we can do this. Yes. <laughs> so Alicia is a certified couples therapist, author of four relationship books, including Stop Overthinking Your Relationship. And over the past 16 years, she's provided individual, group, and couples therapy in clinical settings, including Bellevue Hospital in New York. She currently works as a senior writer and editor at Psychotherapy Networker and a couples therapy and private practice. She connects with her readers and followers through monthly blogs, newsletters, and podcasts, as well as through Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And she's a member of the Washington School of Psychiatry the American Psychological Association, and the Mid-Atlantic Association of, how do you pronounce that? Imago. Imago, and Relationship Therapist. And I'm going to have all of those links on the show page so that people can get in touch with her. So how did 
did you get into the, into this field? Because you know, relationship counseling and that kind of thing. That I didn't even know that that sort of thing existed until I started doing work for Dr. Ava and discovered love coaching. I, I didn't even know that was such a thing. How did you get into that? Oh, well, um, I kept messing up my relationships, Nikki. I kept getting into the same terrible situations, and it was always their fault. And, well, you know, yeah, and then after, at a certain point, I, I said, okay, wait a minute, Who, what's the common denominator here? And uh, obviously, it was me. So I started to get into looking at my patterns, kind of going over different childhood traumas and seeing how I had become a, a, a pursuer, distancer in my romantic relationships. And through that, I uh, started to get involved in, um, in couples counseling and went back to graduate school and and made it my commitment to, to, to help couples avoid some of the pitfalls that I had fallen into. Now, wait a second. Did you say a pursuer and a distancer? Yeah. Um, yeah, one wasn't enough for me. I like doing them both. So I, I, would, I would go back and forth <laughs> between pursuing uh, my partners and then, you know, if they would turn and, and, and meet me with open arms, I would run screaming naked into the night in the other direction. <laughs> So, so it was all about the chase. Once, yeah. Once you once you called them, that was you weren't interested anymore. Yeah, that that was the pattern, and um, it, you know, it gets old. It gets old after a while. Yeah, for them too, I guess. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was listening to you. You know, wait a second, hold on. We we need to. Oh, I, I need to verify. She said what I think she said. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just warning you, you never know what I'm going to ask you next. That's right. <laughs> Keep me on my toes. Yeah. I, I just, I, I thought that's what you said. So. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's, um, let's start with the big question, okay? And there's going to be a couple in here, I have a feeling. What is the most important thing a person can do to have a better relationship. Let's 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 just bring out the big guns from from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, you're cutting to the chase here. Um yeah, you know. <laughs> so this isn't necessarily easy to do, but I would say the most important thing that a person can do to have a better relationship is to cultivate a growth mindset. And, yeah, by that, you know, I mean that we, many of us tend to kind of start our romantic journey with a fixed mindset where, you know, we oversimplify things, we, we see things in black and white terms, good and bad, right and wrong. You know, we, we have a tendency to um, dismiss the little victories or the the little moments you know that matter like your partner you know remembering a detail about a restaurant that you liked or you know buying you your favorite candy or 
you know, coming with a rose to, to tell you that they enjoyed their date with you. So we tend to dismiss a lot of the little things and to have these very fixed views of what we want in a partner. And right. that, that will sabotage love pretty quickly. So, you know, the sooner you can start to cultivate a growth mindset, which is essentially just being willing to learn, being curious, being humble, uh, you know, embracing complexity, which is super hard to do, where, you know, you see things that are more in the gray than in the black and white, right and wrong arena, then, you know, you you really step into into relationship as a learning process more than as just something that, you know, you flip a switch, you meet the right person, and, you know, you live happily ever after. I like that. I which, like that. which part do you like, Nikki? <laughs> well, I, uh, <clears throat> I hadn't thought about that, but <clears throat> once once you have your expectations set, I see how we you can stop appreciating things that that may be wonderful mm-hmm. but they aren't what you've got your mind set on. You know yeah. um I'm I'm very big on the little things, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, it's I learned a long time ago there aren't enough big things to get excited about, so enjoy the little things in life. Um, <laughs> I love I'm, that. I'm not, I'm not saying I don't love the big things, too. Yeah. But, you know, <clears throat> enjoy the little things. Um, you know, because the the little things, well, and, and especially with some of the stuff I was telling you I've gone through lately, um in the last, you know, six, seven years, boy, the little things mean a lot more to me than they ever did. And they, I mean, they were special to me before. Um, but, you know, if if you can get yourself to the point where just appreciating family, friends, your significant other, your partner, whoever, doing things, putting putting the time and effort into doing some something for you, Hmm. That changes your whole outlook. Absolutely. Don't don't put a qualifier on it has to be a certain size or it has to be exactly what I want. Mm-hmm. But they did something something for me mm. yeah. and appreciate. Man, that changes your outlook. You know? It's a game um, change. It is. It mm-hmm. is in a huge way. And it well it changes it's a game changer for you and for them. You know, because you're showing so much more appreciation. And I I don't mean you've got to grovel and, and, you know, overly gush or whatever, but show appreciation. You know, say thank you. Make them know that you appreciate that they did it, that kind of thing. Yeah, Um, and I think that, that, you know, a lot of people, when you tell them that, are going to say or you know, might say, well, but I, I don't want to be fake, you know, um, and I wanted, I wanted a dozen roses. I didn't want just one, you know, one solitary scraggly rose. I wanted 12 <laughs> roses, you know, and why I'm going to be fake if I'm like, oh, wow, thank you so much for this rose. 
And and what I try to tell people and, and couples that I see is, you know, separate it out. Appreciate the one rose. Celebrate the one rose. Enjoy that they thought of you, that they took mm -hmm. the time, that they gave you that offering. And then yeah. at a different time, you can tell them, hey, I would really love a dozen roses, you know, for my birthday, right. for my anniversary. But don't, don't muddle it by, by trying to give them an appreciation and a criticism at the same time. Right, right. I, you know, speaking of, of this, this whole concept, I loved the story the person that wrote the forward for your book told about the snowstorm and her husband. Yeah. Loved. <laughs> I just, that was so great. And, and it was, I was like, you know, it's amazing how many times the mind goes to that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But do you stop yourself from saying it? You know, because it just, it would have killed the moment. But after all that effort, and actually, I, I'll never tell it right. Would you share that story with the audience? Because I think it works with what we're talking about. And it was just, it was an awesome story. Yeah, this is um, Linda Carroll, who's uh, an amazing writer in her own right and has written books for couples. Uh, was generous enough to write the introduction to my book, and she was talking about how a tree fell in in her yard uh, in Oregon, and her her husband went out and chopped it up, and you know cut all the branches off, and lugged lugged the wood you know away, and and then spent the whole day doing that, getting muddy and and wet, and then when she walked out onto the porch and and saw that he hadn't finished his job, there were some, you know, uh, tools still lying in, in the yard, uh, she could notice her mind was immediately starting to judge him, to criticize him, to kind of catastrophize or globalize, you know, he never puts the tools away. He always does things part way instead of, you know, doing it to perfectly. And then she noticed that, that, that she had really disconnected from her own gratitude for him and and wasn't seeing the reality that her husband had put in all this work to take care of business. Exactly. But she noticed that before mm -hmm. she said something negative. Yeah. <laughs> she did notice it. She did notice it. And that's the trick, you know, or or the, mm -hmm. the, the life hack that that I write about in, in this book is, you know, how do you how do you notice when overthinking and the different currents of overthinking have been have hijacked you and are you know it's like overthinking is like this this stream that pulls you down and it, it it pulls you away from being able to pause and reflect and be intentional so how do you get out of that that river or stream and just sit on the on the shore and take a moment and and look at what you're thinking and and try to assess is this productive is this helpful is this even true what i'm thinking you know i mean i know like right. for me my, one of my triggers with my husband is we'll be driving and we have we have a you know a new car so it beeps it makes this beeping sound whenever he forgets to put on the 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 turn signal 
You know, the, ah. it, it lets you know that, okay, you're, you're changing lanes and you haven't put on your turn signal. And he's already checked. He's looked in the mirrors. He knows there's nobody in the, in the, in the, in the lane, so he'll just move over without doing the turn signal sometimes, not always. But I will immediately go into this overthinking, you know, of he's not doing it right, he's risking our lives, if our son sees this, he's going to learn to be a terrible driver, you know, this is, this is disrespectful to me because I've asked him so many times, always put on your turn signal. So I'll go into this negative spiral and, and if I don't check myself, I'll start criticizing him while he's driving, which will raise his stress level, which will actually end up being far more of a risk than the fact that he, you know, didn't hit that switch to put on his turn signal on an empty highway, you know. So that's, that's how overthinking can really hijack you in, in these little everyday moments with your partner. Yeah. Yeah, I have a driving pet fever to myself. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and, and there's sometimes I can keep my mouth shut about it, and there's other times that I just, there's, there's, a, there's an intersection near my house that just drives me nuts because I I know how people come around that corner, mm-hmm. and if you're too far over, I I've seen people almost get hit, and it drives me crazy when yeah. somebody's too far over, and it just I you know there are times I just I can't stop it, <laughs> I yeah. just can't, yeah, you know well and, and I I know what will happen to me if the car is hit. And that that doesn't help. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. right. Preservation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 it's there's a there. I think what makes thinking so challenging and overthinking so challenging for people is that a lot of the thinking that we do, you know, not a lot, but it depends. A lot of it can be very healthy. You know, what you just described at that intersection, you know, sounds like some degree of healthy thinking. You're very aware that there's a high risk at this intersection. Cars do come around the bend and, you know, and so you want to problem solve. You want to, you want to, you know, figure out a way to avoid an accident. And, you know, I mean, overthinking would be that you narrowly, maybe you almost had an accident or you almost saw somebody have an accident. And for the next, you know, six hours, your mind is just cycling through over and over again, over again, these thoughts where you're you're cursing and blaming and and you know thinking about writing letters to the city and you know and you're you know and you're um, worrying about the future and you're making yourself sick with anxiety um, because of something. No, it's, that, it's, yeah. no, it's it's the intersection right there. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just happens to be a block from my house. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so why why do you think that overthinking is such a big problem in relationships? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of reasons for it. I think, particularly in relationships, we get we get triggered. There are a lot of reasons. One one reason is that we don't know we're doing it. So a lot of the time it's just this passive thoughts that are kind of going on in the background and we're not aware of them and we're not aware of how they're impacting the way we speak, our facial expressions, the things we say. So, you know, that that kind of low-grade 
negativity or maybe, you know, control, like your partner leaves crumbs on the counter and you hate crumbs on the counter, you grew, you know, you, maybe you, you know, you grew up in poverty, or you grew up with, with a lot of filth and so you're very triggered by, by filth or dirt or, you know, and, and so you start to have all these negative thoughts about how your partner doesn't do their part and then it comes out in, in criticism. It comes out in, uh, in, in controlling behaviors. Um, sometimes it comes out in feeling really sorry for yourself and, and that energy can impact your ability to connect with your partner and to feel loving and, and to enjoy being together. So what, what can we do? Well, and it's the other person's normal most of the time. It's something that they, they have done and they're used to doing and they see nothing wrong with it. Right. You know, right. I can, I can think of quite a few examples right off the top of my head. (laughs) But I won't, I won't bring them up right now. Um, So what kind of steps can we take to stop overthinking? So one of the things that's really important is to be able to recognize the different cues in your life that signal that you're doing a lot of overthinking. And some of those cues might be things that you notice about yourself, and some of those cues might be things that your partner notices about, about you. I mean, your partner will probably notice you're being super grouchy or irritable, you know, or being over-controlling with, with the kids or, or with your pets or with, you know, with the finances. They'll see that you're being stressed out. And so, you know, it, it's important to be able to listen. It's hard to listen when your partner is, is telling you, hey, wow, you're really acting stressed out or what's wrong, you're very irritable. Um, but it's important to be able to listen and, and wonder, huh, I wonder if they're right. You know, I wonder if I've been, I wonder what's going on in my head. You know, what's happening in my thoughts? You know, have I been, have I been, you know, thinking a lot of negative thoughts about the future, ruminating a lot about something I did a week ago at my job that I, that I feel ashamed about and I'm just ruminating about my boss and what they said and, how I should have responded and why didn't I respond that way and you know and so it's important to be able to notice the cues in your life um, and sometimes there you can notice them in yourself you know you can notice that you're you're not sleeping well or you know you're having these a lot of body aches and pains from from stress or you're feeling depressed or you've been crying at the drop of a hat um, or you've been drinking too much you know, and you don't know why. So, so it's important to look at the, the, the out, outward signals because overthinking is so subtle. You know, it happens in our heads. Nobody sees it. And sometimes mm-hmm. we don't even see it. So, so it's, it really is helpful if you can pause and slow down, take 10 minutes and check in with yourself and, and just, you know, climb out of that river of overthinking, sit on that shore and just look, okay, what are the thoughts that are going through my head? I, I suggest that people try to journal, you know, try to keep a journal where you, you shamelessly write down what you're thinking. Nobody has to see what you're thinking, 
but you know, write down what you're thinking so that you can be aware of it. Well, and journaling is a great way to just get things out of your head. Yeah. You know, I, there's, there's been times that I've had things stuck in my head and I've had nightmares about things. And as soon as I get them on paper, the yeah. nightmares stop. Yeah. You know, I just, you just have to get it out. Yeah. You know, and it, it'll keep replaying in my head until I do that. Yeah. And, and writing, writing it out longhand mm-hmm. with a pencil or a pen mm-hmm. works a whole lot better than typing it. Yeah. I've. That makes sense. I mean, you're phys- it's physically, it's coming out mm-hmm. the body when mm-hmm. you're writing it. It just, that works better for me. Yeah. And other people have the same thing. Yeah. Well, you're connected to, your body is much more connected when you're writing longhand, you know, and yeah. you're, able, you're not looking at a screen, you know, you're able to really drop into your body and, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's, so writing, when you, when you're able to either label your thoughts by identifying what you're thinking, or you can also notice different patterns of thoughts. You know, um, so, you know, you might notice, wow, I'm having a lot of thoughts that are blaming today, you know, or like I was in the car when my husband didn't put on the blinker, you know, or you might notice that you're having a lot of controlling thoughts where, you know, you're just wanting to, to make sure something comes out exactly the way you want. Or you're doubting yourself. You're constantly second-guessing yourself, and you're doubting yourself. Did I do the right thing? Should I do something different? Um, you know, or you're worrying. Or my favorite, this is one of my, my types. I have a lot of, um, at my worst, I have a lot of self-pitying thoughts. You know, poor me, poor me, life is so unfair. You know, um, I, you know this, this, isn't, this isn't okay. Everything's so unfair. And self-pitying thoughts are another form of, of overthinking that really are disempowering because they keep, yes. they keep you stuck in, in something that's not true. They keep you stuck in this place where you, you, know, you are waiting for someone else to rescue you. You know, too, you know, how sometimes something sounds so good when we're thinking it, mm-hmm. but then as soon as you say it out loud, you're like, oh, that sounds stupid, you yeah. know. It can be the same way that it it may sound really good in our head or make a lot of sense in our head, but once you write it down and then see it on paper, it sounds different to you. Yeah. So it's it's seeing it in a different form can somehow make us um, see it, feel it, interpret it differently. Yeah. I'm trying to see I absolutely know what you're trying to say. I mean, and, and, I, and what came to me when you said that was that it's sort of like the Wizard of Oz where, you know, like you pull the curtain back and you see there's just yeah. this, this little guy there, you know, running the show. And I, that, I mean, I see, you know, we all have an, an ego, right? Like this part of us that, right. that is just all about me, me, me. And when you can pull the curtain back on your overthinking, and and look at it, even if you're journaling it or or just writing down the thought, then it's humbling. It's humbling, and it doesn't have as much power. It can't right. run the show, you know. It's it's more, it, yeah. There there's a way where you're you're taking um, you're being mindful, 
True. True. Well, this is like when, when I go to edit something, I, I, actually, I, I look at the document, and normally, you know, we have a white background and black letters, right? Mm-hmm. When, when I'm doing the final edit, I change it to a black background and white letters. Yeah. That way I'm seeing it opposite, and that helps me to pick out my mistakes because I'm looking at it totally different. Oh. So it's, it's the same idea. That's such we're, a great... We're viewing, it, we're viewing it differently. Yeah, that's a great metaphor. That's a great yeah. metaphor, yeah. And the more that we can do that with our own thoughts, mm-hmm. uh, yep. you know, seeing them opposite, then you're really mm-hmm. cultivating that growth mindset. You know, that ability to look at life and at your partner through different perspectives, not just through yeah. the perspective of your own ego. Yeah. Well, and we need to look at ourselves in a different way, you know? The only time I've ever done that is when I was going through cancer treatment, and I, I literally felt like I was looking down on myself from, like, outside my body. That was that was very weird. Yeah. But, um... So, for people that that may not have heard of ruminating, what is ruminating? Ruminating, in, in my book, I kind of put it under a big umbrella of negative, repetitive negative overthinking is, is one way of defining ruminating. Um, some people see it more in, in terms of the past, that ruminating is when you're looking at a past event and you keep rehearsing it over and over again and recycling it over and over again and trying to, you know, trying to change it. It's in the past, so you can't change it. It happened. It's over. But so that the kind of small definition of it, it would be thinking over and over again about the past in a way that's unhealthy and destructive. Um, I like to think of ruminating more as an umbrella term that covers all kinds of negative overthinking, negative repetitive overthinking. Okay. Interesting. So you talk about rumination cycles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, these are are those different patterns of thoughts that I kind of alluded to earlier where they're predictable patterns of thoughts that have a kind of a, a certain emotional energy behind them. So blame cycles, control cycles, doubt cycles, worry cycles, and self-pity cycles. These are, these are different kind of thought categories where you're just caught in this emotional energy and this reactivity toward something that's upset you. And, you know, your thoughts are, are just caught in this one loop, whether of blame, control, doubt, worry, or self-pity. Okay, give, give me an example. Yeah, um, so for example, um, when, I mean, the, the, there was a driving example where I was caught in, in a blame cycle with my partner, um, but you might, you might say that, uh, I'm trying to think of one that happened recently, um, another one. Um, I mean, what comes to mind is, is it happens a lot with children. I'll use an example with a child where, you know, they're they're not they're not setting the table properly, or they're not coming to eat, or they're not eating all their food, and 
and you know maybe six or seven year old kid and you're just you're you're trying to control them you know you're thinking they have to eat if they don't eat they're going to be unhealthy they're not going to grow um, you know I have to go talk to the pediatrician maybe you know maybe I need to you know lecture my child for 10 minutes or, or have them read some articles on on nutrition and the importance of eating well that's a control cycle uh, so mm -hmm. these are just essentially they're thoughts that are going round and round in your head and and they're impacting then how you how you behave toward that person in your life okay okay one one of the ones that or one of the things that that I talk about on here sometimes is, is um, people getting in a victim mindset mm. would that kind of also be like having um, getting into a self-pity mm -hmm. rumination cycle absolutely yeah the, okay. the self-pity rumination cycle is very much being in a in a victim consciousness or in a victim mindset where you know your thoughts are just disempowering you and it's you know that you might be in a situation that is is difficult or that if it might seem like there's no way out of it you know um, there are lots of examples of that with partners you know where where you're fighting or they did something that hurt you um, or you know they they keep forgetting to pay the mortgage and you keep getting charged a fee and you know things are happening over and over again and you feel like a victim you feel frustrated you feel helpless and the thoughts though that you're having are almost like wheels spinning in the mud so they're, the, the thoughts mm -hmm. are making you sink deeper and deeper into the mud they're not getting you out of the the the, the mud pit they're keeping you stuck uh, and right. that's why it can be so important to be able to notice because you can't often you know you can't control there, there are times when you can't control your external circumstances but you can right. control how you relate to them and how you think about them and so well, if, yeah. if you get stuck in the mindset and your thoughts get stuck it's ten times harder to make a change exactly. you know exactly exactly your mind your mindset plays such a huge part in getting yourself motivated and taking action to change things so yeah okay yeah and part of part of what may be uh, counterintuitive but can be really helpful and in fact what therapists do or coaches do I'm sure you do this too with with clients you've worked with is you know you try to help people feel what's underneath all these thoughts you know or or what's underneath the negative mindset what's underneath feeling like a victim so you try to help people experience their feelings you know and and those feelings are often really uncomfortable you might feel helpless you might feel grief-stricken you might feel uh, angry and and a lot of times we overthink to avoid our feelings and so the counterintuitive thing is that if you can feel what you feel with support you know uh, right. then it's easier to move through that it's easier to then kind of just figure out okay this is this is this is the way things are 
Now let me look around. Let me figure out what, what's one small step I can take, what's one productive action I can engage in. And you can start to get that car out of that mud pit little by little. Right, right. Okay, now you say that it's important to learn to just be with things that are painful instead of overthinking. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so that's, that is this, another way of saying allowing yourself to, when you're having negative thoughts, when you're blaming people, when you're controlling things too much, when you're feeling all this self-pity, to be able to stop, pause, and ask yourself, okay, what's underneath this? What's underneath this? And then to drop into your body, make some room to feel your own vulnerability. And that's what, what just being means. It's, it's letting yourself be human without having yeah. to fix it, without having to change it. You know, in the moment, just experience the, 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 the discomfort that this situation that you're in is causing you. That's self-compassion. Uh, self-compassion. Like yeah, okay. yeah, because we, we think we're being compassionate with ourselves when we avoid pain, but avoiding pain isn't always the right answer when it comes to, you know, our inner experiences. Um, so part of, you know, just like if you're afraid of getting on an elevator, you're like, okay, well, I'm just mm -hmm. never ride an elevator. I'll just always take the stairs, you know, and then I won't have to have a, you know, feel that panic when I get on an elevator or feel that fear. But if you spend your whole life avoiding elevators, your fear of elevators just increases, you know, right. your, your right. panic grows. So part of just being with things rather than overthinking them is about, about going into the fear and letting yourself feel what you feel with self-compassion. I like that. Well, and that's, that's the thing. If, if you have a fear of something and you don't deal with it, it does keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right about that. Um, okay, so do you think it's normal to want to escape and avoid things that are painful for us? Oh, 100%. Is it okay. Yeah, I mean, it's and so... Is that just because we don't want to face things or because society has kind of made us think it's natural? Why, why is it quote-unquote natural? Well, it, I mean, there's all kinds of um, physiological... Uh, things that happen when we're afraid, you know, we're, we're biologically programmed to stay alive and avoid things that, that are potentially dangerous, you know, so w we naturally try to avoid things that are scary. I think the problem with human beings is partly that we're so complex and, you know, we're not like unicellular organisms or, or amoebas where, you know, you poke an amoeba under a microscope and it'll it'll run away it'll avoid but you know like we 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 go through experiences when we're growing up you know I, I like the example of 
of when, if you're a kid, you're, you know, three or four years old, and you go to pet a sweet-looking dog, and this dog, you know, was a kennel dog, and it had some, it, it had some tough experiences, and it bites you. So, it, you know, so then you grow up with this fear of dogs, and, you know, you, you panic when you see dogs, or you get scared, or you're, you're hypervigilant about dogs, but all dogs aren't scary. You know, they're, they're wonderful dogs that give you love. And, and so we need to be able to be objective about the things we're afraid of, you know, and, and we need to be able to assess, well, do I really need to avoid this now? Even though a scary thing happened with my first boyfriend, you know, do I have to avoid men for the rest of my life, you know, or, I mean, I'm being a little, I'm exaggerating, but it's important to be able to recognize that avoidance serves a function, but it's not, it's not a healthy way of handling fear. Right, right. Now, <clears throat> you know that the title of my show is Ready for Love, correct? Yes. Okay. The, the meaning behind that, you may not know, is... <clears throat> well, what I had in mind when I came up with that was preparing ourselves and getting ourselves ready for love as in um, working on ourselves and having ourselves not only uh, physically ready for love, but mentally, emotionally, and, and all of that. Yeah. ready for a healthy, loving relationship. Yeah. So are there advantages to working on ourselves before getting involved in a relationship? Absolutely. Um, I, I think the, the more you come to understand your own needs, your own mm-hmm. limitations, um, your own vulnerabilities, and you know, the, the more you're able to be honest with yourself about things that have happened, you know, maybe in your childhood that have created certain tendencies to either, you know, avoid relationships or cling to relationships, the more you can look at your own history and, you know, and own it, just really own it. Uh, then you're much more prepared to communicate with a person that you meet that you want to create a life with. True. And be honest with them and say, hey, <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is me. <laughs> yeah. This is me, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it, and it's funny because we often get involved with people, at least in, in our younger years, and I think our culture promotes this, that, that with this fantasy that, you know, I'm gonna. You're gonna fall in love with me. I'm gonna fall in love with you, and you're gonna meet all my needs, and you're gonna be very attuned, and you know, you'll just naturally pick up on on what makes me happy, and I won't have to really tell you much. You know, you'll you'll just you'll be the right person, and so you'll you know you'll be the key to my lock or whatever. But that's not how it really works. I mean, how how can anyone know who you are? You know, you know, right. you need to know who you are, and and it's it's actually pretty exciting to discover yourself. I don't know if you've had this experience, Nikki, because I know I've listened oh, yeah. to 
you know, your your shows, your other shows, and, and you've done a lot of work. And it's it's like you need to enjoy your own company and and honor your own dreams and your own your own uh, you know joy and and your own boundaries so that the person you meet can respect you and you know and enjoy your company too you know right so, right and that takes work well it's awesome getting to know and figuring out who you are and yeah. then you can introduce you can honestly introduce yourself to another person yeah you know because you know who you are right and and the thing is then as every person that you meet and become friends with and more, you know, then you learn more things about yourself through them. Yeah. It's it's a thing. But, um, yeah, it's, I I think between every friendship and relationship, we learn something else about ourselves. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and they learn and and they learn about themselves through you. So it's really yes. a mutual a mutual learning process. You know, which again, I mean not to kind of, you know, be just beating the same drum, but that's why the growth mindset is so important because yeah. you, know, you can't know today who you're going to be in 4 years, you know, but you can know who you are today. That's yeah. Yes, you can. Yeah. And like I said, it's uh, you. You may really like yourself. <laughs> so. Yeah, 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 <clears throat> yeah. And, and you may and, like yourself even more. Yeah, <laughs> so. Exactly. Yeah, and and if you don't, if you if you don't like yourself, and um, and I think that's very human that we like parts of ourselves, and then there are other parts of ourselves that we judge, we condemn, we're ashamed of. Um, to really almost like find a way to be in approval, even of the fact that, you know, you're a work in progress, you know, <laughs> parts of yourself, the other parts of yourself you're still trying to accept. And, you know, be gentle with that. Like don't beat yourself up for that. To 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 kind of be kind to yourself as you as you grow, as you develop and as you learn. Right. Right. No doubt. Yeah. So what what are the advantages to working on ourselves when we're in a relationship? <laughs> That's a great question and, and I love that. As a couples therapist, um, you know, I constantly see people working on themselves in a relationship. And I think the, the advantages are that you know, your partner's going to push all your buttons, you know, and, <laughs> and people say to me, well, how is that an advantage? Well, it's an advantage because you know exactly where you need to grow and you know, you know, you know exactly where your work lies. So there's no mystery. I mean, when you're in a relationship, and let's say, you know, I mean, I used to think before I met my, my husband, I was like, oh, I, I never get angry. You know, I'm, I'm just very peaceful. I'm just one of those people who you know, uh, is, is calm all the time. And in my relationship with him, I would get angry, but I would, I would deny it. And I would point the finger at him and say, you know, you're angry. You're the one who's angry. And, and I learned because he kept pissing me off so much, 
whoa, no, actually, <laughs> I'm a very angry person. You know, I have a capacity <clears throat> to feel very, very angry. So being in a relationship, it, it, it pulled the, you know, kind of pulled the wool off my eyes. I couldn't delude myself. So when you're in a relationship, <laughs> you can't trick yourself because you're with another person who's constantly holding up a mirror and saying, look, you know, this is a different version of you that you may not like, but this is how I experience you. And, and yeah, it, it, it's painful, it's hard, it hurts, but it also is very humbling and it helps you to grow. Interesting. Interesting. Huh. I like that. Okay. Now, you mentioned mindfulness earlier. And I've talked about, I've actually done a couple shows about mindfulness. What's the difference between mindfulness and overthinking? Yeah. So, mindfulness is that just kind of bringing back that metaphor of the river or being kind of on the shore. So the river with the currents is when you're overthinking. That's when you're in the water, you're getting swept over the waterfall, you're being carried, carried along by your thoughts. And mindfulness is when you're able to kind of climb up out of the river and watch your thoughts, observe your thoughts, notice your thoughts. You can't get rid of them necessarily. You can't, you know, avoid them. But you can observe them. So mindfulness is, is, is actually a form of, of healthy awareness, whereas overthinking is, is just these passive thoughts that keep coming and, and affecting your ability to be present. Okay, so mindfulness, you're in charge yeah, and you're in control of of your thoughts and your thought patterns and all that. Overthinking, you're not in control of the thoughts and what's going on. Yeah, the only uh, <laughs> the only thing I would change in what you said is that with mindfulness, you're not so much in control, but you are able to to observe, um, and okay. that you know, and and that does give you some choice you know, of, of how you're going to respond to a situation. Um, and then overthinking, yes, you are not in control. You, you are, you know, you're not in the driver's seat with the overthinking. Okay. I like that you had mindfulness and awareness together. I like that. Okay. Okay. So how, how can we know when we've stopped overthinking our relationships so when you're able to start to get curious about your own thoughts you know when you're when you when you have those cues remember we talked a little bit about you know different cues in your life you can't sleep or you're irritable or you know you're you know you're depressed and um, and and your partner saying you've been you've been behaving differently so when you can Start to look at those cues and get curious and, and pay attention to your thoughts. Maybe do that exercise you suggested of journaling and writing out, okay, what, are, what am I thinking about you know, the fact that my in-laws are coming over next week? 
you know, and to really write down those thoughts that you're having, you know, they're going to judge me, you know, my mother-in-law always criticizes the way I cook, you know, um, and to really write out those thoughts and to notice, oh, wow, I'm worrying, I'm in a real, I'm in a worry cycle, and it's been going on all day, you know, oh, can I drop in, can I see what I'm feeling, and then you can notice, oh, all right, I'm really angry that my in-laws are coming, I, I wish my partner had asked me for permission first before inviting them over. Oh, okay, so there's a lot of anger here. I'm feeling helpless. All right, and then to kind of accept that, and then maybe from that place you're able to tell your partner, hey, I wanted to have a conversation about, about your mom and dad coming. Can we talk about this? Um, so you'll know that you've reduced your overthinking. I don't know if it's ever possible to stop it completely, but you'll know you've reduced it when you can when you can be more mindful and bring more attention and awareness to, to how you're dealing with very triggering situations in your life. Okay. All right. That's, that's, that makes sense. I'll make that. Okay. One, one, other, one other favorite topic. Do you have tips for establishing healthy boundaries and I didn't just say boundaries, I said healthy boundaries yeah. with a <laughs> So yeah, healthy boundaries, it's this is a very um it's a very trendy topic now and I don't I say that with affection, you know, because it's really boundaries are are so essential in everything yeah. that we do and in all of our relationships. Um and and, and, and they're also kind of confusing. So what, first of all, I like people to, to know that there are three different types of boundaries. You know, there, there are flexible boundaries, and those are mm-hmm. healthy boundaries, is when, you know, you, you have a boundary, you know what you want, you know what you can tolerate, what you can't tolerate, what's acceptable to you, what's unacceptable to you. But you're not rigid about it. You, you know, you can bend. In some situations, you can be flexible and bend. When you're rigid, that's an unhealthy boundary. If you're always, for example, if you always say no, you know, somebody, your friends want to go out with you and you always say no, or your partner wants to, you know, uh, watch Netflix with you and you always say no. Anything that's rigid is, is a an unhealthy boundary. And another form of an unhealthy boundary is when your boundaries are too porous. When, when you're always, yes, you always say yes, you're always trying to please everybody. And then you get super resentful, you know, because you, you have no time for yourself and you're depleted. So I always tell people that it's really important, number one, state your boundary. For example, yes. yeah. So for example, you might say to your partner, when I'm talking to you, please listen without interrupting me. Right? So you're stating your boundary. It's clear. Then it can help to let your partner know why this boundary is going to be helpful. Like why should they not interrupt you? Like what's, the, what, what's in it for them? You know, how is it going to help your relationship? And you might say to, to them, well, um, this is going to help our relationship because if you really listen to me, it's going to be easier for me to listen to you. It's going to be easier for you 
yeah, it's going to be easier for me to hear what you have to say. Once you've heard me, it'll be easier for me to hear you. And, you know, your, your partner might have a light bulb moment. Oh, okay, well, there's something in it for me. This is going to help us. All right, I'm going to try to respect your boundary. And then number three, try to use positive language. So, you know, don't say to your partner, well, I don't want you to interrupt me because only jerks interrupt people because, you know, it's, it's, I'm so sick of you interrupting me. You know, you don't respect me. No, that's not going to land. That's not going to be helpful. So try to use positive language. You know, please don't interrupt me because I want to feel safe with you. I want to feel safe sharing with you. I want to feel safe opening up to you. It's positive. And then four, fourth step, honor your boundary. This is a really hard step for people. They're like, well, I set boundaries, but he still interrupted me. I don't know what to do now, right? So it's like this step is really about, okay, you set a boundary. Maybe you're going to need to re re you know, repeat your boundary many times. You might have to repeat it. Okay, I would like to speak. I, I would like you to avoid interrupting me. Please listen to me until I'm done. And repeat it. You know, boundaries don't change overnight. And, and then if your partner still can't meet your boundary, you might want to give them something that um, there's an author, Nedra Glover-Tawab. She writes about healthy ultimatums. So give your partner a healthy ultimatum where you might say, mm. yeah, it sounds scary, but... You know, you might say, if you keep interrupting me, I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> I like it. Okay. So those are some ways. Awesome. Your, your tips sound very much like my tips. I like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and the thing is, if we don't stand up for our boundaries, why should anybody else? Exactly. You know, so I like it. Yeah. Okay. You want to let the listeners know how they can find you? Yeah, um, I would just just go to Alicia Munoz Couples at, on Instagram, um, or you can go to my website, www.aliciamunoz.com. Um, I have a, a free course there and a paid course that I'm just releasing, so you can check those out too. Awesome. And I'll, I'll have all those links on the show page and a re replay of today's show. And thank you for being here. Great thank conversation. You. Thank you so I much. Knew I, was gonna do I knew I was going to enjoy this. <laughs> so the, the replay and links and everything um, and info about her book will be at uh, lovecoachjourney.com slash overthinking. So, but don't overthink. Just that's where the show's going to be. So, <laughs> no, seriously, thank you for being here. Okay. And we'll we'll have to find something else to talk about sometime. Maybe one of your other books. Awesome, awesome. And listeners, I'll be with you next time on Ready for Love Radio.